This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder, what do you know about two plus two veterinary school programs? Do they add up? Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we're going to maybe give you a little insight into something that's been creeping along in super stealth mode nationwide, gaining momentum, causing some potential controversy and concerns, and it's called a 2 plus 2 program. But before we get into that, as always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, 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 you know, I got this little AVMA JAVMA news alert earlier in the week, and it had a story that I said, Becky, what do you know about this? What you... I sent it straight to your inbox, did I not? You did. And basically, the JAVMA news alert goes like this, uh, and it's in the latest version of JAVMA news, which is actually dated April 19th, so we're into the future, but it's titled 2 Plus 2 Programs Add Up, and it basically goes into this thing that's been moving along even since before I was in vet school, at least at one school, that allows a veterinary medical school student to split up their time in vet school between two universities. So it works like this. If you live in a certain state that has a certain agreement with a state that has a veterinary school, you can stay in your state that doesn't have a veterinary medical school and complete what is equivalent to two years of veterinary medical school back home and then transfer to the regular veterinary school for your last two years. Becky, are you confused yet? I'm so confused. I... <laughs> I guess so. I guess what I the thing is, is you're doing your like gen ed classes back in the state where you live or what kind of classes are they allowing to be taken in that home state? Right. And that's a really good point. And that's when we'll start off. So basically, you have to, first of all, be admitted into this veterinary medical school program. So you did two years, three years, four years of undergrad, depending on the specifics. We know now that Iowa State is really pushing for this two plus move, which I'm not totally against. It also two years of undergrad going straight into uh, Iowa State Veterinary School. So you do your undergrad wherever. But then if you live in one of these states like Alaska, okay, for example, like South Dakota, uh, and we'll name some of those others that, that are involved with this right now, then you are guaranteed, not guaranteed, but you can apply for school at, say, Washington State University. And so you do your first two years of, like you say, general education, sort of what would be considered the classwork back home, devoid of all animal content tact, and then you go to the real vet school. Does that clarify a little bit? Yep. I think that makes sense. So yeah, I think off the top, I can think of a lot of pros and cons of this, but it sounds like there's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot. Now, when I was in vet school, in fact, I knew a student who did this. This, this goes back to a, a reciprocal program that was set up between Idaho and Washington State University, so or Washington State University Veterinary College. Um, so if you lived in Idaho at that time, and I think this program has been going on since 1979, they took about a dozen or so students a year and they sent them to Washington State for their vet school, right? So that, that's been well established. What I really sort of wasn't aware of was that then about in 2006, Iowa State University started working with Nebraska and they started taking Nebraska Nebraska Lincoln, I think it's called professional program uh, in veterinary medicine. They would take these students, about 26 of them in total now, to Iowa State University. Now, the first thing you have to realize is this is a way for schools to expand 
their student population. One of the uh, deans says, hey, we've been disappointed in the number of students and quality of students that are applying. So they say by expanding our base or our pool of applicants, we'll get better and more students to enroll. So ultimately, this is first and foremost about expanding veterinary school size. Okay, but I... I guess in my head, it's a little bit confusing just in the state, the sense of it being not open to everyone. And Good so point. Are they holding spots for these students? Are yes. they holding places for admittance to students from Iowa? So if you are not specifically from Iowa. And then the other thing that starts to come to my mind is, are we really <laughs> causing any kind of diversity or like, is this, is there any real benefit to the veterinary population and to our colleagues to have this right. or is it just creating sort of a elitist opportunity because you live in this state or can afford to move to a state uh, in the JAVMA story believe it or not they actually interview a student uh, Josh Link now he is at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, and they have a new program with Colorado State University. So basically, you can do the first two years of veterinary school at Alaska Fairbanks, and then you transfer to Colorado State for the last two years, right? So all that's fine. But here's how they describe him. Josh Link, a Pennsylvania native, found his home in Alaska's veterinary community. Now, Becky, you talk about really wanting to game the system. You already see the end around that could be played. If you really want to get into vet school, but somehow can't, you could take a long view and say, well, I'm going to go to a state that doesn't have a vet school that has one of these programs. Sure. I mean, am I am I off my rocker here? Could no, that I mean, not I guess happen? It, it, and that's what I'm saying. What's the background here? Is there some kind of, okay, you were born and raised in Iowa or you've lived there some majority of your life or you, like <laughs> right. you said, just picked up and moved to this state because it allows you to get one of 10 spots being held uh, across the country. Right. And like you said, the other thing is, is that a whole quality of education. I love the idea of... Making it so that someone who, you know, maybe, okay, so so in my head, I'm thinking, well, may, we live in North Carolina, right? We've got NC State University. I don't know how many applications they receive a year, but maybe if they have a heavier applicant pool and then maybe those Midwest colleges don't, it's a way of driving people right. to those Midwest colleges. But I think it should be open to all 50 states in that case. Right. Well, the defense of this is, is say, hey, we're going to allow states that don't have this opportunity a way to get students into a vet school. B, and one of their strongest arguments, they're saying this is a way for us to recruit these students back home because they complain a lot of these states like Idaho, South Dakota and so forth, Montana. They say when our, our students, our veterinary students leave our states, they just don't come back. I don't know if that's exactly true. I'm sure there's some stats that can be used on either side of that topic. But my point is they say this is how we bring them back. The third and where they start to really get weaker in their arguments, in my opinion, is they say it's a way to reduce student debt. Well, true and not true. They do offer programs for like offering like kind or in-state tuition for these special students. But guess who makes up the difference? taxpayer dollars, which sure. is where some of these programs are starting to run into some headwinds because they're saying, look, our funding is questionable. It is dwindling. We have to go back to our state legislature, you know, every session or every two sessions and get funding to basically pay students to go out of state on a wing and a prayer and a hope that they come back to us. So you can understand that, you know, this is a little bit about, well, taxpayer dollars. One of the things that I found really interesting, there was a quote that talked about um, 
This is one of the associate deans. He says, from a financial standpoint, these programs are very good for us, end quote. (laughs) (laughs) For a financial, right, so they're making money. Right. I'll extend the quote. We end up with a lot more tuition from out-of-state students than we do from in-state students. All these students are essentially paying out-of-state tuition. The states are supporting the difference. Now, that caught my attention. When I read the article, that was when I said, whoa, what's the real motivation here? How much is money and expanding the school size really at play here, Becky? Right. So what you're saying is a state like Alaska that doesn't have a veterinary college is paying taxes to a state like Iowa or Washington that does. Right. That's exactly. And so, again, they have to they have to make that case. And and then even the, the student that they highlight is from Pennsylvania. So bringing back your point, well, how long did this guy actually pay Alaska state taxes to merit this sort of program, you know, this benefit of being there? It's a really fascinating thing. But Becky, here's what I do want to ask you about. Okay, because the politics and the money aside, which I think we can argue about that, you know, for a long time. But what about the quality here? Do you think it it's going to take a potential hit? So I guess that's kind of, the yeah, that's next in my head. And I think to myself, prereqs are prereqs, right? Like if you are going to require somebody to have undergrad to apply, then you you require undergrad. If you're going to allow two years of post, you know, gra- you know, graduate type school, then that should be open to everybody and you should be willing to open that up across the state. You have no regulatory factor. And what's also really concerning to me is you're telling me you already have to be accepted to the veterinary school to take part of this program. And so therefore, it doesn't matter what the education looks like for those two years. It's not like you're applying after those two years and showing your ability to have gained great knowledge and to have an equivalent education at that point than the veterinary students that you are going to be accepting across the country. Yeah. And great point. Becky, how many times on this podcast over the past two and a half years have we lamented the lack of experience and practical skills that today's veterinary students graduate with? Right? Right. We're always complaining about that. And here is another layer of insulation from the real world, in my opinion. Right. I mean, because if you're at the University of Alaska Fairbanks doing your first, quote unquote, two years of veterinary school in a classroom, how close are you actually getting to our patients. And that's, you know, if I were going to do anything and, you know, we've waxed poetic on this podcast and in lectures for the last 20 years um, about this, if we're going to do anything to benefit veterinary medicine, it is more hands on practical time with patients, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. And so, again, that's the background. Are they required to be doing some sort of service work in a veterinary hospital? Are they spending any kind of clinical hours while they're doing those first two years? Are they doing anything to contribute? Would be interesting to know. I guess, you know, off the top of my head, I would sort of assume they are just for that type of experience because you don't want to come into those two years behind the rest of the students. And I guess that's the next thing, you know, that's sort of pressing in my mind is, what is it like to assimilate into the veterinary program two years into it when your classmates have all had two years of bonding and working hard balancing both sides of the program and you kind of just come in and have to blend in? What does that look like for those students? Right. And that's a really good point. I did find a couple of uh, news reports that had brief interviews on this topic. They said that and again, these are all relatively new, so we don't have a, a, a broad you know, depth of, of data here, but they felt like they assimilated fairly well. You and I know what it probably means is they kept to themselves. I mean, I can tell you even at vet school yeah. when we had the people that that 
some, had a problem a year ahead of us when they came back into our, our group. I mean, we welcomed them, but they were always like those other people. And so, no, right. yeah, you know, and I get that. But I, again, I think as a profession, I really want to hear our audience's viewpoints on this. You know, are we telling the world, hey, most of veterinary medicine can be learned in the classroom, or should we be telling the world we need more practical experience in the clinics hands-on? That's where I really fear these types of programs. Sure. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Okay. So for 12 minutes, we've argued everything we don't like about it. Let's be fair. And in true spirit of Dr. Cindy, let's balance it out here. What's the benefit? I mean, why is this a good thing? Because enough people have seemed to agree this is a good thing, that this has gotten pushed forward. I agree. And I think that the the big strength of a program like this is that you've got students from these very rural communities that know what it's like to live in Alaska or South Dakota or wherever, that they will probably come back and bring those school, you know, those traits from from vet school back to their community. So I think that there is a real I think there's a real chance that they will go back to these rural communities. And and some of the early programs are saying, yes, this is true. I think the second thing, and I know you don't like me to say this in this particular fashion, Becky, but there is a diversity factor here. You are bringing probably, I mean, I can't imagine what it was, what it would be like to grow up in Alaska. So that would help influence maybe the way we approached, you know, something in the clinics. Uh, Again, having said that, how much opportunity we really have in two years. But I think the diversity, you know, offering, you know, these people with unique skills to live there. And and more importantly, as I think the, the program really intends to do is just to broaden the accessibility. I think that's really where this thing shines is saying, look, we know that you're from South Dakota. We know that you're from Idaho and you may not have the same opportunities as people who live in New York. So we're trying to, to level the field a little. Yeah. And I mean, I definitely I agree with that. And to the the diversity point, I think it's there. But I guess it's just sort of seems like we're pulling rural communities together and you're not getting as diversified as having the opportunities as if you had incorporated maybe southeastern United States into these Midwestern programs and opened it up because, there, you know, there there's probably a lot of people who would like that opportunity um, where I think we would have a little bit more focus. And the other thing I think you're making a great point about is that going home factor. I'll be really interested to see how that works out over the long term. And will this actually help our large animal veterinary population, right? right? Because we know that they're so underserved and it is that Midwestern population, it is that Midwestern part of our country that serves it the most. And so can we maybe help fill the spaces that are so needed in that part of our veterinary community? Well, and one of the things so far, all of these programs don't have an obligation or stipulation or mandate that you like go back to your rural community or even your state. Yeah. One of the things that I think kicked off this latest interest was this new program for between the University of Minnesota uh, and South Dakota State University is they are talking about requiring those students to return for a period of time. Now, I think if you start building in mechanisms like that, Becky, they probably make more sense to a state legislature because now you're going, okay, look, you know, we know we're spending money here, but you know, they have to come back and repay us in some fashion. So I think you may see the trend move in that direction moving forward. I kind of am surprised that that's not even just, you know, right built into the groundwork, right? Because if that's part of the goal of the program, it would seem, you know, I know that there are some amazing programs in North Carolina that help with teachers. You know, if you spend a certain amount of time working in the state, you get tuition forgiveness. And so I guess tuition is the next thing on my mind. Do you think this is going to ultimately help reduce student debt? Because we know... It's a huge factor in the veterinary field, and it's part of why we are are, are seeing a lot of people looking away from Here's it. where math 
gets funny <laughs> because <laughs> maybe to these few individuals who benefit from these programs that have their out-of-state tuition fraction offset by state taxpayer dollars, right? yes, but it's, this also promotes and incentivizes inflation of tuition nationwide, which is the real problem here. The problem isn't the individual and in giving you a scholarship or you a tax break. The real issue is tuition inflation. Oh, that's see, that's scary to me because I think about this. And again, this is where I have a little bit of frustration and feel like this should be open up to everyone if it's going to be offered to anyone. Because if I want to go to vet school, I have to apply to NC State or pay four years of out of state tuition. What are my other options? Right. I, I totally agree. These are these are very interesting, exclusive arrangements that are really borne by the by the taxpayer. You know, so I, I have concerns. Becky, anything like this on the technician side, anything at all like this? You know, there really isn't anything that I know of that really works like this. And I think the closest types of things we might have are collaborations between online programs and seated programs or, you know, private colleges and right. the state run community colleges. At this point, um, we do see a little bit of communication between the community colleges and the universities, which I think makes a lot of sense in which you can complete certain programs um, in your undergrad at the community college level get your RVT. And there's some reciprocity towards, say, maybe a, a biology degree or a zoology degree when you move up. We know, you know, what people really think that we have and, and we don't is any kind of reciprocity between uh, veterinary technician school and vet school. And I guess right. it's kind of one thing I find incredibly frustrating is that I, as a technician, having two years of veterinary technician school and even a veterinary technologist who has their bachelor's degree would not be eligible to right. go in and take this two years right. and become veterinary. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's right. a really good and point. And I find that part to be a little bit frustrating when you talk about quality of education. It would seem very similar that we would have a lot of the baseline two years and be able to Hey, I want to apply to Iowa State and knock out vet school in two years. Yeah, well, I've got I've got two quick comments on that. Uh, one, uh, when I started doing some research, and I want to hear from our listeners, I couldn't find a lot of similar programs on human side. I saw several Caribbean colleges that offered programs where if you did two years in Antigua, for example, you could then go to the mainland U.S. They had worked something out with the college, you know. So you you get those kind of programs. The Mayo Clinic in October of 2016 announced that they were going to do a quote unquote two plus two med school. And basically, they're going to take the Minnesota campus and try to merge it with the Jacksonville, Florida campus. Now, I think this is a move to actually expand their overall student population. But but here's how it works. Basically, they take right now, I think, about 10 students or so from Minnesota, which is where the Mayo a, a private medical school is held. And they will allow them to spend half of their medical school career, the, the two two of the two years down in Jacksonville, Florida. And the idea is that they will they can be exposed to a different variety of specialists. So some students that are interested in this type of community in Florida, maybe that they can't see uh, in Minnesota as many of those patients, they would get to do this. Having said that, it doesn't have anything to do with their residency requirements or board certifications, any of that stuff. It's just a, a thing that Mayo is offering as a private institution. So I, I don't really see a lot of this on the human side. But now I want to spin it to that dystopian future that, you know, I always like to talk about, Becky. And that is what is to prevent private universities from pulling off something like this? Like, where are the rules? Like, for example, I understand you have to get approved and the AVMA has a, a board of, of, you know, the Veterinary Medical School Board who oversees all of this stuff. But 
Becky, what's to prevent me from opening a school in Tennessee and saying, hey, Arkansas, why don't you come over here and I'll work out some kind of deal with your students? Well, right. And I guess it's just the approval of those governing bodies. But what is to stop you? And and I think you make a really good point there. And again, I think what's to stop you is the motivation. And I guess that's what we would love to be able to figure out exactly. Because if the motivation is absolutely to expand diversity, availability, and affordability of veterinary programs, then, you know, heck yeah, I'm all in. But if this is really truly just going to help the bottom line of these colleges because they're able to fill seats better, by just sort of opening up to partnering states, it, it just really seems to be somewhat of a dis- undistributed, fairly program that maybe needs to be a little bit better worked. Yeah, yeah. And again, we're not judging one way or the other. We are raising our concerns, you know, just as veterinary professionals. And so we want to hear your opinions as well. So definitely hit us up on social and let us know what you think. I think the other part of this too, Becky, what it tells the the world at large is that really vet school doesn't get real until the last year. And then you only have one year of kind of practical applications. You don't, you're not required to do any additional residencies or anything like that, which I think is the wrong direction for the profession in general. But I think this just validates to the world that, oh yeah, basically they just do a lot of book work. And I think that's in the end going to drive us towards more specialization because as we've mentioned on this podcast and others before, Becky, you know, so many young veterinary graduates today are scared to death to, to, to do a urolithotomy, to do bladder stones, you know, to, to open up an abdomen and investigate a spleen, do to, much less to do a splenectomy, you know, heaven forbid if they had to crack a chest and look inside the lung, you know, I mean, yeah. like, and I know those are all surgical uh, questions, but also it could be diagnostic imaging. It could be just interpreting test results, uh, you know, blood, urine, Becky, we need more time with patience. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I specifically go to my head in a time that a, a brand new veterinarian was in the emergency clinic with me when I was working a relief shift and a patient came in not breathing. And literally the first words out of her mouth were, I don't know how to do CPR. You know, and, and it just you're right. The hands on time, it really does give a, a kind of a bad, a bad impression. Like I said, I feel like, why can't I just go jump from tech school to vet school if that's all it really is? Um, in fact, I probably at that point would have a whole lot more hands on experience if I came out of tech school and went into right. vet school those last two years. So I, I think there's a lot of things that are you know, to be wary of here. But again, I, I do think, you know, focusing on the positive, it do, it does open up opportunities for more individuals who don't necessarily have them. And while, you know, it isn't the individual paying that difference in, in funding, and so therefore they are paying in-state tuition, they are getting a better deal, that does reduce the student debt. I mean, hopefully in the long run, this is attractive enough program that other schools will open up to this so that it becomes a more um, evenly spread program that gives that opportunity uh, more equally across the country and and makes a little bit more sense. But at the same time, too, like you said, do I here in North Carolina want to pay taxes for somebody who is going to school in Georgia? I am just not sure. Yeah, it gets really complicated. And again, you know, we are all for trying to improve the veterinary curriculum. We want to have better colleagues out there. Uh, this is not a simply a case of, well, it was, wasn't done that way back when I was in school. This is really, I, I am all for innovating the educational curriculum. I just don't know that more class time is what we need. I, I will just continue to go. I need more hands-on, more clinical applications, more really work, figuring out the complexities of biological disorders. That's what I desperately want for our profession. 
And so what would be that solution given that case? Is there a way that this program could work in a, a little bit better way that would be a little bit more equal? Could we offer online programs the first two years? Uh, Syracuse University, for example, just opened up the first accredited JD program that is a sort of hybrid um, where you take these classes online, but they're those assigned class times where you're actually, you know, in telelearning with your classmates, uh, but from whatever state you want to be in. What is it? Do, how could we make this look better, but still offer that opportunity to students who don't have veterinary schools in their states? Yeah, Becky, I'll, I'll date myself, but you know, for the last 20 years, I've advocated for something similar to uh, a physician's assistant program. And I used to jokingly refer to that as the DVM light. I know we've talked about this on the podcast uh, in the past, but this DVM light actually would speed up the process so that maybe the entire curriculum was only six years. So maybe a couple of years undergrad, but then four years, you know, intense in clinic in vet school. Uh, I also am for, you know, I believe in limited licensure so that, you know, I think that I would rather focus all of my time, what little time I have uh, on the species that I'm most interested in. And, you know, you could have maybe three programs uh, where you'd have small animal, you know, small mammals, whatever you'd like to call that. You'd have like uh, large animal, you know, mixed animal that that would be, I think there would be really nice ways to do that to to come out and say, look, you know, we are focused on four years of just getting you the best clinical outcomes possible. And so this DVM light, I still think would help programs like this, because maybe now they would do two years in Alaska and then go straight to the vet school in Washington for their four years. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think there's got to be a better way to open up opportunity and to utilize technology, to utilize compressed schedules and compressed learning you know, modules. I know a lot of the technician programs, especially on the private side, have gone to that, moving away from traditional 16-week programs right, to you right. know, eight, 10-week classes. Um, and it's, it's interesting when you can kind of compress those schedules back, especially in those gen ed classes where you maybe aren't getting that hands-on. Opens up a lot more opportunity for the hands-on in a smaller amount of time. Oh, yeah. Even if we took the four years of vet school and cut out the summer breaks between uh, freshman, sophomore, sophomore, and junior year, you could cram a lot more species-specific education experience in there. So I think that the solutions are there, Becky. This one just seems to raise a couple of cautionary flags. But like you said, how can we learn and grow from this? And these are all new programs and they're it's in flux. So we'd like to hear from you. I mean, what do you think about these two plus two programs? Maybe you're a student involved with one. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, but, you know, as a profession, what do you think this signals to the rest of the world? Hit us up on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Vet Viewfinder or on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder. And you can find us on any of your favorite platforms wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. But if you can find us on iTunes, go over there and rate, review, and don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time, let's keep working on two plus two equals awesome. Bye. Bye. Get it? Like two plus two equals awesome. Got it. <laughs> wow. I mean, what a what an interesting topic. No easy answers. Uh, but wow, this thing is exploding. Wicked. Yeah. 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 Well.